Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Wednesday message. We're in a new series called Pondering Prophecy. Uh, these last past two Wednesdays, we covered the first uh, two of the six seals, the first six seals in the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 6. Now, this is the time of the tribulation that the Bible is talking about. It begins in chapter 6 of Revelation and goes through chapter 19. It's the time spoken of by the prophet Daniel as the 70th week. It's the time of Jacob's trial. Um, it's called the great indignation by the prophet Isaiah. It's the day of the Lord by Joel uh, and the apostle Paul. In the book of Revelation, it's first introduced in the letter to the church in Philadelphia as the hour of testing that is to come upon the entire world. Jesus refers to it as the tribulation and the great tribulation. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John is shown the judgments of God that come upon the entire earth, and he sees a series of sevens, seven seals, followed by seven trumpets, followed by seven bowls or vials, uh, which brings judgment upon the entire world. The first four of the seven seals are symbolized by a rider on a different color horse. These colors are identified with the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the colors are white followed by fiery red by black and then by pale green so we've seen so far the first seal and the rider on the white horse who we identified as the the antichrist then we read about the second seal and the rider on the red horse and we spoke of the wars the, the riots the insurrection the violence that happens during this time the scripture regarding this rider on the fiery red horse said that it takes peace from the earth and makes people kill each other. We'll continue, we'll continue today and we'll be taking a look at the opening of the third seal and the rider on the black horse. Now before we read that passage, it's just a couple of verses, I want to go back a little bit and, and talk about how these, these seals, how these verses, can, uh, talking about these, these riders on the horses, uh, are all interconnected. The first four riders are also called the four, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And people that have never even read the Bible, never heard a sermon on the book of Revelation, never heard one of our teachings, they know that these four horsemen of the apocalypse are connected in some way to a, to a horrible time, the time of judgment, the time of the end. And that thinking is not incorrect. Let's put these initial seals that we see in the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation in, in context. Make sure that we have the right context for these seals. Well, it kind of goes back to, to, uh, to uh, Jesus. Jesus is, was in Jerusalem in the week of his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. We read about Palm Sunday and Jesus comes in through one of the gates and the people put down palm branches in his way and they shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And that's how the week started, but the week ended with Jesus crucified and laying in a tomb. Now, during that week, Jesus took time, that, that very same week, to talk with his disciples. And, and he told them to their surprise that the magnificent temple, the magnificent temple in Jerusalem, would be destroyed. He said that not one stone would be left on top of another. Uh, the disciples were, were amazed. Uh, the temple was truly one of the wonders of the ancient world. Herod had begun the work 46 years prior, and he was determined, he was determined to be remembered forever as the builder of one of the greatest temples of the Jews. Over 10,000 skilled laborers had been hired, according to the historian Josephus, along with a thousand skilled laborers that were actually Levites. Um, and Herod did a magnificent job. He restored the, the temple that had been there, the, this beautiful, along with the beautiful gates, the tall white stone, stones, and, and the temple rose above the city and could be seen for, for miles around. It was the, the large, largest landmark in Jerusalem and, and truly the, the largest landmark anywhere in the area. What, what Jesus said came true, just as he foretold. In 70 AD, the Roman uh, general Titus, who would then end up becoming an emperor, came into to Jerusalem and he, and he sacked the city. He killed hundreds, hundreds of thousands of Jews, destroyed the temple, uh, and again, history records that not one stone was left on another. Now, the apostles didn't know when all of this would happen. Uh, they thought that the destruction of the temple was likely associated with uh, last time, perhaps with the uh, coming of Jesus the second time. And they said, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus is at the Mount of Olives and he sits down and he begins to tell them of these signs. Jesus answered and said, see to it that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they'll mislead many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place. But that's not the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there'll be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. That's out of Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 8. Now, many have noticed the correlation with what I just read in Matthew 24, to the unveiling of these six seals that we see in the sixth chapter, or the seven seals that we see in the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation. Uh, the first one is where Jesus says, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And we, we saw that with the rider on the white horse, this man of deception is revealed, this, this antichrist. Secondly are the wars and the rumors of war, and it's represented by the second seal that we talked about and the rider on the fiery red horse. Now this week we're talking about the black horse and Jesus spoke of famines in various places and we'll see today that that's clearly represented by the third seal and the black horse. And then finally the fourth rider of the apocalypse, Jesus speaks of earthquakes and, and cosmic disturbances and we'll see that again in the, in the fourth seal. Just to provide further support uh, to this correlation, Jesus continues in verse 9 of chapter 24. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. 
and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate one another. This correlation with the fifth seal in chapter 6 of Revelation is clear because it says for the sixth seal that he opened, the fifth seal, he opened the fifth seal and I saw the, under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, martyred for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So you see the, the correlation. The, the book of Matthew and Jesus' words talking about the end time are, are clearly represented in these, these first seals. The first series of judgments, the seals followed by the trumpets and then by the, the vials or bowls. So now let's read these, these, these two verses in the sixth chapter and, and, and see what they, they say to us. The third seal is the black horse, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil or the wine. In verses 5 and 6, we see the aftermath of the war and the lawlessness that was spoken of in the previous seal. This is what happens when, when peace is taken away from the earth. The scripture says that the rider on the black horse had a pair of balances of, of scales in his hand. Now today we don't see those types of scales very often. However, for thousands of years, they were the one, they were used in commerce. Uh, that's how sales were done. Um, it was the way things were, were weighed. The scriptures use this language of scales and balances often. It, it speaks of justice, of fairness, and impartiality. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord, and dishonest scales are not good. If you recall the account of, uh, in the book of Daniel of King Belshazzar, King Belshazzar is having this, this huge feast, and he decides to take the, the treasures from Jerusalem, the, the drinking goblets and the silver uh, cups and the gold, uh, gold plates, and he brings them into his feast in order to, to, to honor himself. And the people are getting drunk, and, and then suddenly a hand appears on the wall, and, and it writes the words, uh, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsim. And they don't have the slightest idea what that means. They're, they're scared to death because of this hand writing on the wall. The prophet Daniel, however, interprets the words. And he tells the king, The God has numbered your days and brought it to an end. He has, you have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting. There's the scales that this, this rider on the, on, the dark, on the black horse is talking about. This king has been weighed in the balances and found, found wanting. In more contemporary language around today, uh, we know there's a thing called Lady Justice. And Lady Justice is a common sight in courthouses. It's in the Supreme Court. The woman is garbed in a tunic and has a pair of scales in her hand and a, a blindfold over her eyes. So the idea is that there's, there's no partiality. She, she does things fairly. Regardless of, regardless of if you're poor or lowly or you're rich and powerful, everybody is treated the same, has the same kind of justice. Now, now 
now we, we look again at the scripture and, and what do we see? Well, the pair of scales we, we understand. That's the idea of, of fairness and balances and, and things being weighed. And it says, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. See, back in the wage scale at the time of John, um, it was common for a laborer, a common laborer, to receive a denarius for a day's wages. That's how it was calculated, is a day's wage was worth a, a denarius. And the scripture says that this denarius would be the value of a, a measure of wheat and three measures of barley. The literal interpretation of this verse would mean that at this time that Revelation is talking about, it would take an entire day's wages to buy a measure of wheat. Now, a measure of wheat uh, is one dry quart, according to my conversion chart, which, which means that it makes between one and a half and two loaves of, of bread. Enough for one good meal. Now, barley is not as nutritious nor as desired as wheat is, and you could get three meals of barley or three loaves of barley bread. Now, you can see why people call this third seal, this rider on the black horse, as, as representing famine. And famine is one of the words that Jesus uses in talking about this time. And I agree with that. Uh, the question that remains is, why famine? And how widespread is this, this famine? You know, at any given time, there's a balance between supply and demand. Food is produced. Not only wheat and barley, but milk, bread, eggs, chicken and cheese, flour, beef, pork, all of our foodstuffs, all of the things that we need, there's a, there's a balance between supply and demand, and that's what keeps prices stable. Now, war and civil unrest disrupt that balance. Actually, we don't even need to have the real thing. We don't have to have a real war, just the rumor. And it will disrupt this, this, this careful balance between supply and demand. Here in Florida, for example, we know that during hurricane season, uh, you go in one, the store one day into the next, and the next day, all of a sudden, there's no more water. The shelves of the stores are empty. No water, no bread, no batteries, no rope. Everything is surprisingly just gone. Somebody got in and, and cleaned it out before you got there. And often, the hurricane that's, that's feared doesn't even come close. Who would have thought, for example, that this COVID-19 crisis would have, an immediate would have immediately emptied all of our grocery stores of toilet paper? And this is the picture that the scripture is painting. It's also a painting a picture of inflation and rising prices. You see, it isn't that there's, there's no wheat, no barley, or no food or necessary supplies. If you want to buy it, it will be scarce enough that the price is, is sky high. And we've seen that recently. When there was no toilet paper on, on the shelves of the local grocery stores, you could still go on Amazon and find toilet paper available from third, some third-party sources, but the price was 10, 20, sometimes 100 times what it normally would be. It happens for, for two main reasons. The first is there's actual shortages sometimes of, of the things that we need. An early frost up north will send prices of fruits and vegetables sky high. The, in Russia, we'll talk about Russia for a while. Russia was, was the, the world's second largest producer of wheat, second only to the United States. At the same time, many times in, in Russia, people would stand in line 
uh, in bread lines, trying all day to be able to get one loaf of bread. And see, it was, it was, it was, the, it was the weather combined with, with bad management that caused shortages like this. Now let's stick with Russia for a minute. Um, in particular, communist Russia, the Soviet Socialist Republic, and we'll talk a little bit about fairness and food distribution. You see, even when people had to stand in line in Russia for, for hours, there was a black market. And they had the same things, the same products, but they were available for a high price, as much as an average worker's daily wage to buy food on the black market for a person and their family. At the same time, and we know this from history as well, people that were in power in the Soviet Union, the rich, the, po the political leaders, always had plenty. Notice the scripture has these words, a quart of wheat for denarius and three quarts of barley for denarius. Then it goes, continues and says, and do not harm the oil or the wine. You know, for some reason, this, this voice that John, hear, John hears says that the oil and the wine should be left alone. Now, I've read some commentaries, and one explanation is that there would be no money left over. After you buy the bread and the barley, there's no money left over um, to buy these essentials, the oil and the wine, which were considered essentials at the time of the Apostle John. And, and while that's, that's possible, and it's definitely a simple explanation, um, I go back to the words of Jesus back in the 24th chapter of Matthew that I read earlier. Jesus said that just before his coming, he says, in various places, there will be famines. In various places. The various places that Jesus refers to may indicate that while the famines, these disruptions in the supply of goods and services will be severe, they may not be universal. I keep going back to what we see in these, these communist countries. These, these Marxists don't believe in, in free enterprise. They don't believe in allowing people to choose to invest in the means of production and supply. They don't believe in capitalism. They believe that the government owns the means of production and that the government can do a better job of managing the whole thing centrally. Well, what we found in places like Russia and Cuba and North Korea and Venezuela and Bolivia and Sri Lanka, in these places the common people are faced with poverty, with hunger, starvation, and many other inequities where the people in power have everything they need and more. You know, it's interesting, in the 80s and 90s, if you're old enough to remember them, if you remember the 80s and 90s, it looked like, like Marxism, Leninism, uh, Maoism, uh, this political and economic ideology had, had failed. You know, literally, it failed in every place it was tried. Uh, it was going, going, gone. The Soviet Union broke up, East Germany was absorbed by the West, and even African tribalism was turning more and more towards open markets, towards capitalists and democracy. But how things have changed. Here in the United States, students are coming out of college today and they are told and they believe that capitalism is the root of all evil. Politicians are openly calling themselves socialists and calling for the end of some of our long-held values. And yet, everywhere that Marxism is, is embraced, violence, riots, food shortages, economic collapse, and totalitarian regimes exist and they impose their will 
on all the people. The scripture today speaks of the third seal, the third rider on the black horse. And this third seal, the, the third rider follows the second, and the second follows the first. This is a progressive unveiling of what happens when the Antichrist is revealed. Jesus said that in the last days, beware that you're not deceived, for many will come and deceive the nations. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul says that the rise of the Antichrist will be like this. He says, but the Spirit explicit, explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. This is deception. And Paul says it's coming directly from hell. Paul says these are doctrines of demons, seducing spirits that are allowed to bring about what ultimately brings forth the horsemen on, of the apocalypse. These riders on different colored horses, white, fiery red, black, and pale green. You know, for centuries, for centuries, well-intentioned teachers Bible scholars and pastors have looked at these words that we're talking of today and looked at all of the prophecy in the Bible, all of the things connected with the end times, and found, quite frankly, it was too fantastic, too horrible, too dreadful to embrace literally. First of all, the center of all of these end time prophecies was Israel, and specifically Jerusalem. Israel was no longer in the land. It was a wasteland, mostly arid and desert-like. The Jewish people had been scattered after 70 AD, after the destruction of their temple in Jerusalem. They had been scattered to the rest of the continents in what was called the Great Diaspora. And quite frankly, these Jews were not welcome anywhere. The Jews were persecuted by the Romans, the French, the Greeks, and the Christian church. The papal inquisitions that began in the 12th century were infamous for their torture and their persecution of the Jews and the Muslims. Some of the worst atrocities were in Spain, where for more than 200 years the Jews were routinely tortured and killed. For centuries, however, throughout much of Europe, Jews were discriminated against and, and hated. It was because of this that it became impossible for most Christian scholars to overcome that bias and look at the Bible and see that God still loved the Jewish people and that there would still be a time of restoration. That when we read the word Israel in the Bible, it means Israel. That when we read about armies surrounding Jerusalem, it, it means Jerusalem. It doesn't mean Rome. It doesn't mean London or Paris or any European capital. Of course, the only reason that many, if not most, of the scholars today take a look at these scriptures and they see Israel and, and Jerusalem is because we see Israel back in the land. You see, Israel became a nation in one day, just as it was foretold. Israel became a nation in one day on May 14, 1948. Jesus said, regarding these end times, do not be deceived. Do not depart from strong doctrine from solid doctrine. When we see these signs, any of these signs that remind us of these end times, we, we need to be careful. We need to be prayerful. And we always want scripture to interpret scripture. I, I've heard some say that this COVID-19 is the, is the black horse, this third horse of Revelation. 
uh, causing economic disruption, a hoarding of food, of scarcity, and, and inflation. Well, COVID-19 certainly is a, a deadly disease, and it, it did limit our ability to buy toilet paper. Uh, but here's the thing, it's not tribulation worthy. I used the term last week, tribulation worthy, for the first time, and I, and I used it in particular in talking about the tribulation because all of these things that we've seen up till now are not at this, of the scale of what we read about in the book of Revelation. Tribulation worthy means that it has, it has to be on the scale of what's spoken of in the Bible. Jesus spoke of these end times in Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. And Jesus said, for at that time there will be great tribulation, unmatched from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be seen again. And then he continues, he says, if those days had not been cut short, nobody would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. My friends, Jesus is, is coming back. I'm not a date setter. We don't know exactly when. But however, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus will return. These prophecies will be fulfilled. Jesus also said, and I want you to pay attention to this. Jesus also said in Luke 21, verse 36, he said, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. To be counted worthy simply means to know, to believe, and to trust in Jesus. Jesus is the one that is, is truly worthy. It is Jesus that paid the penalty for the sin of the world, my sin and your sin. The Bible makes it clear that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then this is Romans 10.9 and it says, Romans 10.10 says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you confess and are saved. Saved, saved in this world, saved in the next, and saved from the coming tribulation, the coming judgment on the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.